Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. For today, we are joined by members from UBS Asset Management for another episode of Around the Horn, a monthly fixed income roundtable where we do hear from top portfolio managers as well as business heads from Asset Management's Muni, Taxable Fixed Income, and Liquidity Teams. We do hear candidly from them on their views on markets and what they believe you should be focused on within the fixed income space. For this month, glad to welcome back Anthony Liotti, head of the Fixed Income SMA Advisory Group. Anthony will also serve as our moderator for today. So with that, Anthony, I'll now pass it over to you to lead this month's roundtable. Welcome back. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, hello, and, and thank you again for tuning in to uh, this month's uh, the November uh, uh, edition of, of Around the Horn. And I say, obviously, when you look at you know uh, the, the calendar, we are really in the final stretch of, of 2023. I know the calendar might show, as of today's and and, uh, and as of the the time of this recording, it's November the 10th. However, when you look at you know the fixed income market calendar, in reality, there's only about four trading weeks left where you know activity will not be interrupted by either a holiday, uh, a Fed meeting, or just I like to say the quiet period of heading into the back end of December. So really, again, beginning to enter into the final innings of, of 2023, which is just absolutely remarkable. Turning to the markets, you know, it was as if as soon as we turned the calendar from October to November, the market sediment also seemed to turn, right? With the exception of some really recent over the past day or so, some, I'd say some cautionary um, hawkish comments by, by the Fed chair, um, the fixed income market has experienced through a very few trading days in November a, a very strong rally, turning many of, of the major indices uh, within fixed income from uh, negative year-to-date returns into positive uh, year-to-date returns, which is just simply amazing. For the month, as an example, for the month, the main muni index is up um, roughly 2.5%. Corps, uh, intermediate corporate are up roughly 2% and treasuries up two and a quarter percent. And, and, and after, I mean, when you think about what the past three months, you know, August, September, October, um, what we've been through will take this, this really attractive bounce that we've seen over the last handful of trading days. Um, I, I would say that, you know, yes, it's a good bounce. It, it should not be necessarily be taken lightly nor should we look at it as necessarily um, a trend, right? We we have, and we, I would say, expect to see for the remainder of the year and clearly into 24, um, these bouts of, of, of volatility, right? Looking back onto October, uh, a bit of a nightmare. As, as some people said, the credit market and rate markets witnessed a, a really a, a, just a violent bear market. That's all uh, new yield levels uh, across all core investment grade and, and upper quality uh, high yield, even for that matter, lower quality high yield. As Anders might might get into a little bit here uh, a little bit later on, I, I would say I feel very confident in saying that the experts, the forecasters, the the prophesizers, if you will, were quite surprised by the resilience of of that pullback. And by all means, I'd say not many expected or thought that that was even possible when looking back just just a few months ago. Um, what caused the backup and that sharp rise in rates where we saw us hit an intraday high of, of 5% on, on 10-year treasuries, um, again, the sort of the almost the unthinkable, if you will, uh, a few months ago, and we hit higher yields, uh, higher than 5%, I think it was 530 on the on the back end of, of 30s. Um, it was a confluence of events, right, driven by the Fed's 
I'd say somewhat continued cautious, uh, hawkish tone, um, you know, where the economy just is really related to the economy, just showing, again, renewed strength in here. Slew of Treasury supply, um, coupled with, uh, you know, the public perception that, you know, higher for longer uh, should mean that rates need to be repositioned higher and that the term premium adjustment um, of those higher rates would accompany those views, right? So those were, I'd say, more the, the three larger reasons why uh, we saw that, that 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 new range trading range of, of 5% plus on, on yields on the back end of the curve. Um, in my frequent conversations with clients, there continues to be a very wide range of views regarding uh, you know the future outlook on the market. There's the, there's the dovish group that is certain that we are done tightening and we'll begin to cut rates before mid-2024, right? And they're doing a lot of different things than, than the other group, which is on the other side of the coin. Which is saying um, that we're done, that we, we're not done tightening, and as long as there's certain uncertainty, excuse me, in the marketplace, and that uncertainty persists, and the data continues shows the volatility, that there is a potential to test new highs and rates will remain high, maybe uh, go even a little bit higher here. Um, with that, I'd, I'd say you know what we are seeing from clients reacting to the sell-off in rates in, over the past couple of months is. One, clients have been harvesting losses um, in their accounts. That's a strategy that, you know, can clearly benefit clients when looking to minimize their tax payments while simultaneously reestablishing higher or acquisition or, or purchase yields than previously purchased securities, right, from, from months or, or years past. Um, those that, again, are, are getting a little bit more aggressive in taking and extending on duration, whether it be in taxable fixed income or tax-exempt fixed income securities, have looked at this as a time to reposition the portfolio or at least just a portion of the portfolio into some longer data securities in that we reached the new highs and uh, they feel that this will be continue or look to be a really good place for us to, to lock in um, higher rates for a, a longer uh, period of time. So with that, um, let me turn it over to our PMs as we always do. We'll start on the front end, the short end of the curve um, with Dave Walzak and Dave Rothwell. So Dave, why don't you take it away? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Anthony. So, yeah, from our standpoint, you know, we've obviously been paying close attention to recent Fed speak. Obviously, we had the meeting at the beginning of the month where they elected to hold rates, as was widely anticipated. Um, you know, Powell definitely tried to, I think, walk a fine line between, you know, wanting to keep policy restricted for an extended period of time, but not really uh, obviously looking to, to over-tighten here. Uh, and then, of course, his comments uh, yesterday, you know, I think the market viewed as a little bit more hawkish, uh, especially in comparison to what he uh, mentioned uh, back a week ago uh, at the FOMC meeting. So I think, you know, this really, you know, serves as a reminder to the market that the Fed is, you know, really trying to obviously get this right in terms of ensuring that inflation comes down to their 2% target. Um, but at this point, it almost feels like, you know, the, the way they're looking to do that is by keeping rates at this elevated level for an extended period of time. So even though, you know, Powell mentioned the, the door is still open for another rate hike, um, you know, I think it's our sense that, you know, that the Fed is really trying to reinforce um, upon the market that, you know, rates are likely to stay at this elevated level for, for a period of time. Um, you know, looking at Fed funds futures today, you know, it seems like, you know, the prospect of another hike, the market doesn't really seem to be buying it. Uh, we're only seeing six basis points worth of hikes uh, priced in by the January meeting. Uh, looking out over the course of, of next year, we see about 75 basis points currently priced into Fed funds futures in terms of rate cuts. Um, you know, we think that's a little aggressive in, in our view. So uh, it'll be interesting to see 
uh, if the Fed does wind and potentially, um, you know, move that uh, a little bit less in terms of the degree of cuts uh, if they continue to, to sound a, a little bit more hawkish. So as, as Dave mentioned, it's been an interesting week. I mean, we had a lot of rate volatility over the past week with the two-year rallying down to 45 plus the jobs number last week only to climb up. You know, it's at a 502 as, we, as I speak right now. Um, you know, call it a, about almost 20 basis point move in just a few business days. So um, quite a bit of all there. In credit, we had a, a lot of supply over the past week with investment-grade corporate volumes hitting about $45 billion on the week, which was initially a little bit more than expected. For all the rate ball, for the Fed speak, as well as, you know, a sizable new issue, credit has been fairly stable here. So um, looking to, um, you know, broadly, more broadly speaking on the front end, some of the highest fixed income total returns have been in the front end with, you know, something like the zero to one U.S. corporate index returning about 4.5% on the year. So, uh, which brings us to our current yield environment. You know, we, we continue to see opportunities in sectors such as the aspect market where we can buy prime, double A, triple A rated paper in the one year area and plus 70 and plus 80 to treasuries in a two year space. So overall, yield in the short duration portfolio is right now about 570. The ultra short is nearing 6%. We've maintained an open quality bias with a mix of the US treasuries, ABS, IG Corp, with triple B exposure now around 20 to 25% and an average uh, portfolio credit quality at, at 82. On the duration front, we've been holding close to home. Our one to three short uh, duration portfolio has been flat to about plus 05 versus the index, which is about 1.8 years. And our ultra short portfolios have been holding around 0.6 to 0.7 year duration with the longest maturity in those portfolios at around 18 months. And that's 18 months for fixed maturities. So. Just a little color there on what we're on what we're doing, but you know, with that, I'll hand it over to Philippe. Uh, thanks, David. All right, so the markets didn't disappoint over the last month, as as mentioned by Anthony, with the yields hitting five percent in October, and then the Fed came in and and surprised the market with a dovish dovish pause. Uh, yields dropped about fifty basis points from the peak in November. Now at around four point six percent on the ten year. All markets rallied. Including equities and fixed income, with the renewed confidence on the on the hike, with the hiking cycle being almost over. So one thing was pretty telling to us: the price action revealed that investors were too bearish, which is consistent with what we have observed most of the year. The weak sentiment surveys are contrasting with the upside surprises in the higher economic data, and that's happened all year round. Our view here remains the same: um, strong economic data, including labor demand. Uh, growth numbers, and a Fed that's likely on hold uh, will create an environment that is quite attractive for investment-grade corporates. Corporate earnings came in better than feared in Q3, and balance sheets in investment-grade remain quite strong with high cash balances still lingering from the pandemic. Looking at valuations in our market, the corporate index is yielding 6.1%, which is down from from 6.4% in October, but Still an extremely attractive entry point for investors, in, in our opinion. Um, we looked back over the last 20 years and excluded the global financial crisis in 2008. And there were only two short periods where IG yields hovered above 6%. And they lasted about four months in 2006 and three months in 2007. So in other words, 6 plus percent yields are not the norm in, in our space. And, and people um, 
we are urging people to take advantage of that. Looking at previous hiking cycles as well, uh, we have evidence over the last four hiking cycles in 2018, 2016, 2000, and 1997. The returns uh, are quite attractive, ranging between 6 and 14% over the 12 months after the, the last hiking, um, hiking by the Fed. So back to our market, we expect supply, as David mentioned. Uh, November has been a, a quite a strong month so far. Um, we saw companies taking advantage of, of the, the lower yield and lower coupons. But going to year-end, December, um, we're expecting only about $30 billion, um, And we continue to see inflows into the asset class, which is providing a pretty stable environment for uh, USIG going into year-end. So how, what are we doing with portfolios in, in this environment? One, we continue to extend our active intermediate strategy uh, with the idea to increase duration in portfolios by selling short bonds and investing out the curve in longer data securities. The easiest way that we do that, uh, and we have been implementing those trades across the active intermediates, is to sell our short data treasuries. We hold a lot of September 2024 treasuries and rotating that out into longer treasuries or, or corporates in the 10-year, the seventh 10-year bucket. Secondly, we are maintaining an up and quality bias like we have a year, making sure we only have good quality credits with strong balance sheets that can really withstand any potential economic slowdown into 2024. We continue to like the, the large U.S. money center banks. Uh, we have a pretty positive view on the fundamentals there, and valuations remain attractive. They, they are outperforming the market this month. We like the communication sector, which has been a really good performance year to date as well. The likes of AT&T, AT Verizon, T-Mobile, very stable cash flows uh, from from mobile and and broadband. We like the media names like Netflix and Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, the name that was involved in M&A last year, is being deleveraging. Balance sheet is is getting in, in better shape now. Uh, so th those are the are the focus for us. Um, on this strategy, uh, on the, our strategy in, in terms of uh, yield, we are yielding just under 6% right now. Um, the duration in the active intermediate is about four years. Uh, on the index, our, we're building the new accounts at about four, four and a quarter years duration, which is slightly overweight versus index. The, uh, the exposure in, in terms of ratings, we have about 40% invested in triple B names, 2.5% in, in high yield which the high yield that we buy is only double B names, rising stars that we, we believe is going to be upgraded to IG in, in the coming 12 months. And we have an exposure of about 7.5% in U.S. treasuries. The balance is invested in single layer better. So um, with that, I'll, I'll pass it over to Anders Nelson to talk about high yield. Thank you. Thanks, Philippe. Um, on the high yield side, uh, we came into the month with yields at 9.5%, which is as high as it's been since the sell-off uh, early 2020. So it looked attractive from a historical perspective, uh, while at the same time, new issue supply has been very low, uh, setting up the market with a strong technical backdrop. Many things came together last week, uh, which ignited a rally in both duration and credit risk. The market felt very grabby, driven by the fourth largest inflow on record, especially into uh, ETFs. And there was also some risk covering, and so yields rapidly dropped from 95 to 8.8%, and spreads tightened by 50 basis points. Double Bs led the rally, uh, benefiting both from the uh, typically longer duration as well as uh, for being more liquid. 
Triple Cs have been trailing the rest of the market over the last month. Uh, we've also seen a handful of idiosyncratic stories develop, as well as missed earnings uh, being punished by the market, driving some credits towards more stress levels, with bonds moving down 5 to 15 points. Uh, in the last week, we have seen some recovery uh, take place in these uh, distressed names. So we're pretty much back to where we started a month ago before the widening episode in October. Uh, yields right now are at 9% for the overall high yield index, 8.3% uh, for the shorter and higher quality double B, single B, one to three year. Um, same goes for credit spreads, um, which are back to screening relatively tight, only about 25 basis points off the lows uh, of the year. Uh, this rally has been impressive and took many by surprise, uh, but we don't think that we're out of the woods yet, and we think that modestly wider spreads are more likely from here. Um, there's still uncertainty around economic growth, uh, treasury yields, as well as uh, geopolitics, um, and not a lot has changed there, um, so we expect volatility as well as higher dispersion uh, to continue. Uh, that said, in yield terms, we think you are still being, attract, uh, being compensated for for uh, the risk of the asset class, and I want to point out some other supporting factors as well. Credit fundamentals uh, continue to hold up well. Uh, we're well into earnings season, uh, and credit metrics look unchanged from last quarter, which means that they're still strong but coming off of record levels. Margins have actually surprised to the upside, driven by better-than-expected expected cost discipline and management outlooks overall. Um, sound balanced. Um, and so we don't expect the material increase in defaults to happen, uh, but to continue normalizing towards uh, the historical average of around three and a half to four and a half percent. And also at-risk names have already been, uh, are already flagged by the market and trading at low dollar prices, so further losses should be manageable. In the higher quality segment of our market, we continue to see upgrade momentum. Just two weeks ago, Ford was upgraded another notch, making it uh, investment grade. That means that 40 billion in bonds will leave our index at the end of the month and we'll see a rotation back into high yield bonds. And this adds to the strong technical picture that we've seen play out over the last two years as issuers have been upgraded, bonds have been paid down, and new issue supply has been muted. The high yield universe shrunk by 10% last year and so far this year has shrunk by another 7 to 8%. With higher financing costs, that means that um, those that can will continue to pay down debt and hold off from bringing, bringing new supply to the market for as long as possible, because right now, coupons to clear the market are probably two to three percentage points higher than outstanding bonds. And right now, they do still have enough runway, as a lot of debt has been termed out past 2025-2026. On the other hand, low-rated companies, uh, meaning low single Bs and triple C issuers, will face a more challenging time. They're typically smaller companies with a higher debt load, and given their weaker cash flow profile, they're more reliant on accessible and affordable funding markets, and their business models tend to be more sensitive to the economic cycle. So far this year, we've seen very little in terms of triple C supply, and we'd expect that once they do start issuing, required coupon rates will be materially higher. Um, for this reason, we still like being up in quality and selective when it comes to picking our credits. I also want to give a quick update on the stats for our SMA accounts. For short-duration high yield, we're looking at yields just shy of, of 7% for a two-year duration double B-minus rated portfolio. Crossover accounts, uh, which hold both IG and high yield credits, yields 6.5% with a duration of three years, and it has a triple B-minus rating. I'll now hand it over to David Michael to speak on emerging markets. Thank you, Anders. Uh, oh, emerging markets over the last month uh, have seen a spread tightening, similar to the other asset classes. Uh, spreads are tighter by 24 basis points. Emerging market investment grade tightened by seven basis points. Uh, and emerging market high yield credits uh, led the rally and tightened by 47 basis points. 
Um, over this period, 10-year Treasury really did a round trip and ended up about three basis points uh, lower over the last month. And as I've been saying, and most of us have been saying, that stability in the U.S. Treasury market will likely lead to spread tightening, and this is what we've seen. <clears throat> Emerging markets have seen outflows for the last few months, um, but we've seen positive signs as uh, over the last week, flows have flattened out and stopped according to the most recent fund flow data. Um, there are a number of emerging market sovereigns um, who are also looking to emerge from debt restructuring. Ghana, Sri Lanka, Zambia have all been uh, wrapped up in, in restructurings, some of them for multiple years. Um, and this has really improved risk sentiment around the uh, distressed uh, uh, emerging market sovereign space. And it's been reflected in bond price recovery over the last few months. Uh, along with this, the IMF uh, executive board announced uh, a 50% quota increase. Um, and that will help uh, going to um, the most uh, distressed countries, such as these that are just coming out of default, to help keep them from defaulting again. Asset prices in Israel have stabilized as the war in Gaza uh, remains more localized. <clears throat> and uh, we've also seen uh, sentiment in China kind of uh, flatten over the last month. And Chinese President Xi will meet President Biden next week as a sign of uh, improving relationships between the two countries. With the positive shift in risk sentiment, we've seen an increase in primary activity. Um, and if rates remain range-bound, uh, we expect uh, primary market supply to remain elevated into December. But when I say elevated, this is based on the net negative supply that we have seen for the last two years in our asset class. So even an increase in primary markets will still leave us with expectations of net negative supply of over $100 billion for this year. And that it really leaves emerging market investors with still sizable cash positions um, ready to redeploy, um, whether it's in primary or secondary markets, which is a very positive technical as we head into the end of the year and Q1 of 2024. From there, let me hand it off to Ryan Nugent for an update from our municipal team. Thank you very much, David. Um, as my colleagues have mentioned, uh, markets have had a wild ride over the last month, and munis were no different. Uh, volatility has been front and center. Uh, we've had to navigate through net positive supply figures in September and October. Uh, combine that with October being the largest supply month of the year, and steady outflows from mutual fund from the mutual fund universe, and you have yourself an environment that is very difficult to perform in. To put it bluntly, uh, the muni market has had a rough few months. Um, the Bloomberg Municipal Index has had three consecutive negative return months in a row, and October has reported negative performance for the last four years. Uh, the month of October wasn't as bad as September, but at negative uh, 0.85%, it was nothing to write home about. October did nothing to reverse the year-to-date return numbers of negative 2.22%. Uh, a great deal of this upward pressure on muni rates was due to the weakness in the Treasury market, uh, inflation fears, and a positive net supply figure in September and October, uh, which saw $12 billion more bonds brought to market than maturities, coupons, and calls could cover. Um, combine that with steady Lipper mutual fund outflow figures throughout the month, and there just wasn't enough demand for the municipal paper in the market. The positive news is that the weakness we saw seems to have peaked at the end of October, 
when we experience highs for the year on maturities across the curve. The two-year hit a year-to-date high of 3.74% on 1023. And on 1030, we hit year-to-date highs on the five-year at 353, the 10-year at 363, and a 459 on the 30-year. Not only were these year-to-date highs, but some were actually decade highs. Uh, this sell-off and the subsequent peaking in rates paired with lighter-than-expected Treasury issuance in early November, a perceived dovish Fed meeting, and weaker-than-expected October jobs report brought a tailwind to Treasury and brought munis along for the ride. As of yesterday, the municipal, uh, the Bloomberg Municipal Index had come roaring back, posting a 2.72% return month-to-date, and now sits up 43 basis points year-to-date. The two-year, which peaked at a 374, currently sits at a 339. The five-year went from a 353 to a 316, and the 10-year muni that was once a 363 is now a 324. The 30-year uh, went from a 459 and uh, uh, on 1030 and now is a 422. Uh, municipals are definitely a difficult market to time, but we continually stress the need to be in the market to fully realize your return potential. It is a market that can very quickly turn from having a difficult time getting bids on some bonds to no one offering bonds when you want to buy. It takes a team to be able to source bonds with consistency and depth. Uh, leading up to this rally, we had bought over $1 billion um, uh, in bonds in the month of October. We have been stressing high-quality names in New York, Texas, Washington, and Minnesota. We've been adding VRDNs and notes and barbelling those low-duration securities with the 13- to 15-year area of the curve, as well as the 20- to 25-year area of the curve. We have been stressing adding yieldier power names, such as MEAG and Sandy Cooper, in addition to Illinois GO, Tennessee Turnpike, and New Jersey Transportation Trust Authority. With tax-exempt yields well over 5%, and some taxable equivalent yields approaching 7.25%. Going forward, we're entering a more seasonally supportive time for municipals. November and December present a net negative supply figure of negative $7 billion, helping to support a tailwind on the supply-demand side. Currently, municipal yields and the taxable equivalent yield will continue to offer attractive options for income-focused investors. If municipals are part of your asset allocation, maintaining your position or legging in at these higher levels, if you have more cash to deploy, makes sense as we make the push to year-end. And with that, I will pass it back to Anthony. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate that. Uh, good stuff by all. You know, uh, out here, um, I'll say this. Yeah, on on just about every one of these calls, one of the things that has been consistent is is we we've continued to reiterate the fact that we have to expect volatility to persist, and it has. Right? That's there's one takeaway from here. That's what we've we've continued to talk about. Secondly, I'd say this, um, you know, given what you've heard and you've been hearing on, on this call and past calls is that, um, where rates are at right now, I, I would say clearly clients should begin to, if they haven't already pay attention to the asset class. We surely don't know with 100% certainty, you know, what the future of credit and rates will, will hold for us. But I think that what we do know is that whether you're bullish on the market or perhaps still bearish on the market, these in this market right now, we're seeing levels that we haven't seen in decades, as Ryan had just mentioned. And so whether you want to be a bit more bullish and position and lock in rates on the longer end, 
there's attractive rates in the market. If you're concerned and you want to remain bearish on the market and hunker down in that one to three year range, there also offers a lot of great, great opportunities uh, to invest in, in today's market. So again, I think it's important to, to really begin to pay attention for the asset class um, and, and begin to think about and, and allocate uh, appropriately. With that, um, I'll say I'd like to thank you all for tuning into this call. Please, please let us know how we can assist you with any of your questions, concerns, or uh, investment conversations that, that you'd like to have. So with that, stay well. Thank you again. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.